0: Hey guys, I'm Lead Pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you. Pray for you a lot. I'm a big cheerleader behind the scenes for you every step of the way. So I love this. privilege to be with you. And thank you all for being part of Exeter Valley Church. And yeah, it is a joy to continue in your Thank you for going through the scriptures in depth, one of the great gospels, you know. You remember Matthew was a tax collector, right? He collected taxes for the Romans who then crucified Jews, right? He was a, he was a hated man in his own country. And then he wrote a book after meeting Jesus, being his disciple and follower, filled by the Spirit, he writes a book that we still study every revelation, every word came from the Holy Spirit of God. What a transformation in Matthew, the tax collector, the trader into Matthew, the Spirit of God infused prophet to the nations that could speak out words of prophecy to you so that every word of scripture would be the word of God, the message of God carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a transformation, right? He does that for people, yeah. including Matthew, yeah. including us. So which day is it again? What day? S- Sunday. Bulls. Oh, Super Bowl Sunday. All right. That's what you think. Well, after celebrating all the birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got a little dog in the fight here. Yeah, that's uh that's uh yeah, it's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's my mother's birthday. The way you, the way you guys celebrate birthdays, uh, <clears throat> she's 82 years old. Talked to her yesterday. She's delightful. And uh, I'll touch on this again uh, in just a little bit. But uh, no, let's roll back to Super Bowl Sunday for a moment. You know, it's like the showcase of the best of the world playing today. Football, American football, right? And uh, there will be some plays today in the game that will be absolute game changers, right? Well, determine the outcome and the victory of the game, right? And so those typically would go on like a highlight reel, right? So guess what? On Super Bowl Sunday, the the scriptures in your series happen to fall on an absolute highlight reel. This would make the highlight reel of heaven and earth, the transfiguration of Jesus. It's a crazy game-changing moment. In history, on the planet, before you and I were here, this happened, and you should you should watch it. It's a phenomenal move of God. So let's look at the highlight reel yeah. from Scripture. You read the Scripture already today. Uh, let me highlight just a couple of things out of the text that you read. Um, after six days, it says it's a curious transition. Just want to remind you that there's no chapter and verse divisions in the original writing of Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That came like a thousand years later to help us do Bible study and copy texts and all that stuff. That came like during the you know dark ages, thousand years after Christ. So just realize that chapter 16 is chapter 17. It all flows together. So when the transition by Matthew, there's a relationship between what happened six days earlier. You're supposed to ask you what, what happened six days earlier? Well, they were it was Jesus and the disciples up in Caesarea Philippi, north of Galilee, outside of Israel, looking, you know, who do the people say I am? You probably studied this recently, and it's it's a very powerful moment of revelation. The Father reveals, even through Peter's mouth, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't care what the other people say. I know who you are. And Jesus says, that's right. That's a revelation of the Father. And then, the next thing out of Peter's mouth is... After Jesus starts talking about the Messiah, the Christ is going to suffer before he's glorified, suffer and be glorified. And Peter saying, "No, no, no!" Just like Satan was saying in Matthew three, "No, no, I'm going to tempt you away from that. You know, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth right now that are under my control if you'll just bow down and worship me." I'll give it, you know, and Peter gets rebuked pretty sharply for that. Like you have in mind the things of Satan, not the things of God. The Messiah will <laughs> suffer and will. Be raised on the third day which they didn't understand at all because it's a brand new first of its kind thing this resurrection from the dead so this was all in the context of the relationship the six days earlier was to this powerful revelation and very discouraging word that their messiah their teacher their rabbi was about to be killed by the rising opposition probably within two to three months of this occurrence he would be nailed to a cross and they were feeling the heat and so Put yourself in the shoes a little bit. They're discouraged. And then this happens. This revelation on the Mount of Transfiguration happens. And so they went up on a high mountain. And by the way, Matthew 9, I mean, Matthew 17 is related to Mark 9 and Luke 9. They both have passages that are similar uh, in terms of the transfiguration accounts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke all give eyewitness accounts or written down accounts of this experience. Peter also, in 1 Peter, talks about it. and we may touch on that. So lots of eyewitnesses. Peter James is going go up the mountain. So this is a big mountain near Cicero Philippi. It's called Mount Hebron. It's about 9,000 feet. Like we've had a good week of seeing mountains in the, uh, in the view here and the snow cap on it. I, we don't know how far, you know, that Jesus went up the mountain with his disciples. But since I love this, this is like your entire logo. I mean, I kind of feel special that the entire Transfiguration is pictured in your logo. <laughs> Jesus went up a mountain, so I don't know how far to go up. You know, here, and they met for prayer. Luke says somewhere they took just the the four of them. Maybe they nestled themselves in here. Maybe he's up here. He's somewhere. It's a big mountain, 9,000 feet. And what does it wasn't say they were so sleepy, right? <laughs> this is the same three guys that in Gethsemane fall asleep on Jesus when he's praying. The same three guys. They have trouble staying focused in prayer. <laughs> maybe some of us do too you know but i think intimacy jesus had such extraordinary intimacy with the father if you're in the in if you're locking eyes with the person you love the most have you ever fallen asleep i mean no i mean jesus is fully present i think the disciples are still learning to walk into the intimacy so that their prayer life could be deeper they wouldn't fall asleep if they're with but they had been up the mountain. Maybe they hiked a ways. Maybe it's you know, altitude. Sea of Galilee is below sea level. So now they're up at a high place. Maybe it's altitude. They're tired. They can hardly stay awake. So that's part of Peter's response. He kind of comes out of a drowsy thing and sees the whole place on fire lit up. Right? Jesus is transfigured. Metamorphosis. What's it like? I get curious when I read passages like this. It's fun to say it. it's like, reading through all the scriptures, reading what Peter says and his account. It's like, what was that like? It says his face shone as bright as the sun. You ever try looking at the sun? You know, it's really big and overhead. It You can't. I tried to do a video. I did a video for some friends in New York City that are getting ordained today. And I was looking just into the sun, the light this morning on the video, and I'm squinting. It's like, oh, Jesus, shining like the sun. So his face changes. And there's just Bold, bright light blazing out of his face. His clothes change, whiter than the snow, or it looks like lightning, to be that close to lightning. I mean, they're just practically blinded by that. In fact, they fall down, they fall on the ground. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a, powerful encounter that they had. I remember a phrase my dad would say, I get, my dad's 5'8", my mom's 5'6", I grew to 6'6". Six six. So he often said to me, when I get in the way, of his view, like maybe it was a television or maybe it was a sports game or something, he said, hey, you make a better door than a window.
1: (laughs) Anybody ever say that to you, right?
0: Meaning he can't see through me. You're blocking my vision. You're not a very good window to see outside. So think of this for a moment. I think this is what the transfiguration was like for those that experienced it firsthand. Jesus became a better window than a door. He's fully God. He's fully human. But for a little while, His humanity became transparent, translucent, faded away. It no longer could block vision, and you could see into the glory of God. You could see that the fullness of deity was dwelling in bodily form, and the glory of God, which is often represented by light. It is here when the cloud comes. The Father speaks. It's a brilliant cloud. His humanity becomes transparent like a window, and we see the glory of God hidden away in Christ's ordinariness, we see his glory. That's how Peter describes it. And let me just give you a, a glimpse into his own eyewitness testimony. I guess it's 2 Peter verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when, you t- when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory in heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, Mount Hebron. So what a powerful encounter. Highlight reel, contest of the ages, heaven, and earth god versus satan kingdom of god versus kingdom of darkness highlight to see jesus shine can you see the video of the of the new testament narrative you know we do have videos these days like the chosen or other you know the jesus film that goes globally billions of people have seen it but see the visual this was an incredible encounter that reveals who jesus is the glory of who jesus is So let me, uh, we're going to key in on what the father says in a little bit about Jesus, because this father speaks, this is my son. That's very, very central. That's very important. But uh, I get curious along the way. Like I mentioned, I'm I'm in a passage like this. And what were they talking about? What was Moses and Elijah talking about with Jesus? Don't you get curious? Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does. Luke does in Luke chapter 9. You know what they say they were talking about? There's a particular word in the Greek. It'll sound familiar to you. They were talking about the exodus of Jesus coming up in Jerusalem. There would be another exodus coming up soon in Jerusalem. That's the language. Jesus was gonna go to Jerusalem, lay down his life, and be raised back to life. On the third day, they were talking about a mighty exodus. What do you remember about the first exodus? After 400 years of increasing slavery and genocide, God, in a mighty way, after 10 plagues, leads the people of God out into freedom from captivity, from genocide into captivity, right? What would be similar about the cross of Jesus Christ to that exodus? Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about an exodus to come that's going to happen in Jerusalem where the people that are trapped in tyranny of the devil are trapped in sin and damnation are headed to hell, would be brought out into freedom from under the tyranny of the devil. What a powerful picture of his love. That's what, talking about you, talking me, talking about how he the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, the nations free, people from every tribe and tongue. I mean, I'm just struck by the love because you got to remember this is voluntary. A couple of times in Nazareth, they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. He walked back through the midst by the power of God. They couldn't kill him outside Jerusalem. Right? Another time, they picked up stones to, to, to you know, to kill Jesus when they were thinking he's blaspheming about who he is and before Abraham was. I am, Jesus says, and they want to kill him and they can't get it done. This time, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to voluntarily lay down his life. Nobody could take it from him. The scripture said he laid down his life beaten, 40 lashes, crucified, most excruciating death, did it voluntarily because he loves you so that his blood, as we sang earlier, Kevin, powerful songs, rich theology, his blood would come between you and hell and separate you and bring you back into forgiveness and freedom. And what a privilege. Someone loves you so much he voluntarily died for you in your place. What a picture in the middle of this that comes from Moses and Elijah's discussion of, the, you know, the law and the prophets hang on. Jesus are being fulfilled in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So let me talk about who Jesus is coming into this passage. Genealogy is really important in the, in the, history of the jewish people genealogy is everything they're children of the patriarchs they are descendants of abraham isaac jacob everything matthew starts his whole gospel as you know with a genealogy that's super important he begins in matthew 1:1, saying this is the beginning of the gospel concerning jesus christ the son of abraham the son of david what's significant about genealogy like if you knew my mom and you knew my dad you would say wow there's a lot of similarity there's characters you're a lot like your dad or you're a lot like your mom and this the characteristics of the family pass through so when jesus is introduced in matthew 1:1 as the son of abraham the son of david they thought right away that the characteristics of those great leaders patriarchs of the faith are in this son are in the next generation in jesus so abraham had a Global covenant with God. God said, I will bless all the nations through you. So Jesus is the the descendant who now has the continuation of the global covenant to, to be a blessing to every nation on the earth. That's in Jesus, the son of Abraham. The continuity would flow. And with David, he had an eternal kingdom. God said, I will build you a house that will last forever. So with Jesus, he's carrying a global covenant for the world to bless all the nations he's carrying an eternal covenant that's why it's so important his descendant uh, role in mark 1 1 he's introduced this is the beginning of the gospel concerning jesus christ the son of god well that's part of this picture where god speaks how the father shows up and speaks in the transfiguration and says this is my son this is my son whom i love whom i've chosen listen to him the centerpiece of all the revelation from beginning to end of the Bible. Jesus is the clearest revelation. Jesus reveals the Father best to the whole world. We know a lot more than Abraham, Moses, or Elijah about God because Jesus came into our world. We have gospels now that reveal the heart and the will and the ways of God in perfect detail, looking at this Jesus who's just like his Father. So that inheritance of character, Jesus' is just like his father in heaven. That's what God speaks. He actually cuts off Peter while Peter's kind of rambling about, I'll put up some booze. Let's just stay here. Let's stay here on the mountain, the mountaintop experience. You know, you went up in the mountains with the ladies, right? It's important. Jesus is central to that story on the mountaintop, but he's also central to the story that comes right after this one, where he goes down to the valley and drives out demons, takes out the tyranny of the devil over a boy. (laughs) having a son that from birth many times has been thrown into the water, thrown into the fire, the evil spirit, Jesus who's God, whose face can shine like the sun when you take away the door and let the window be seen, his glory of God, God comes after that demon, drives that demon out of that boy, right? He's Lord in the valley, Jesus is with you, and Lord on the mountaintop, it's both and it's both glory and suffering, or a, it's both. We'd be comfortable with God in both places. Peter was a little less comfortable with the suffering. a little bit No, you not not the cross. No suffering for you. Here again, get up sleepy, going, hey, let's just this is what we're talking about. The glory on the mountain. Let's stay here. In that place. God the Father cuts him off and starts talking over Peter while he's still finishing his rambling thought. No, you're not gonna stay in the glory. My son, Moses and Elijah, we're just talking about the Exodus with him. That's what they're talking about, catch up. He's gonna go be the Passover lamb. By the blood, he will set the captives free. Like, catch up, listen to him. The Father wants us to pay attention to this Jesus very well. So there's another part of this word, this is my son, that is important for us. The, the word again, we, don't, we have some of this in our culture, but not near as much as the entire people of God, generationally, everything was about generation and family tree. And so when, G, when the father says, this is my son, he is saying, and the word in the Greek is weos, this is the heir. This is the one who receives everything I have. Father in heaven says, this is the heavenly man, the man from heaven. This Jesus will receive everything I have in heaven. To do what? To distribute to you, you know, listen to him. Like he's the inheritor, right? If you were friends of the son of the wealthiest person on earth, you know, I know Elon Musk kinda bounces around in there and he has a few kids. But if you were a friend of the wealthiest man on earth, Sound like a good place to be? Stick with that person. If they're going to inherit billions and billions of dollars, maybe, right? That's just money, temporary blessing. This is spiritual blessing. This is eternal life. This is salvation, forgiveness, victory, healing, blessing. Stick with him. He's the inheritor of everything in heaven is in this Jesus. He's the son. This is my heir. Father says, listen to him. Stick with him. Receive everything he can give you. It's a powerful picture. So let me uh, give you three things today to kind of wrap this up uh, and, uh, in the next few minutes. But uh, the theme of this message from this text in Matthew 17, I believe would be that every person, every person, not just Christians, literally every person on the planet that you will ever lock eyes with, any person you talk to this week that is far from God, every person, must listen to Jesus father didn't stutter father's not going to say it again he said it best in his son and he's going to keep saying the gospel to every nation to every person through his son listen to him every person must listen to Jesus with a heart of obedience listen to the son of God because of his identity his intimacy and his authority so we can't go into all the detail here there's a lot in this text Because of his identity, his intimacy, his authority, Jesus is in a powerful, unique, son of God relationship, listen to him. So in terms of his uh, identity, there's a lot in this passage. Again, I would, the gospel is bigger than we often make it today. Satan's job is reductionism, shrinking thinking, And you want to stop on the basis of the transfiguration. Stop shrinking thinking. He's bigger than you can imagine. Greater than you can imagine. And don't let the enemy steal and suppress and minimize Jesus in your viewpoint at any point. So in... Within a few verses of this text of the Transfiguration, we see Jesus in all six of his key essential characteristics. These are hinges of history, tectonic shifts in all of human history based on God speaking through his son, his message, the gospel for all times and all places, good news for all nations spoken through his son. There's six key characteristics. We can talk about six days of new creation, just like in the first original creation, Genesis 1, six days. There's a lot of parallels to the designer and inventor of the entire world, Jesus. According to Matthew, according to Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1, Jesus designed it all, created it all for himself, for his glory. Now he's redeeming it in the gospel. He's redeeming it. And so there's six days of new creation, of salvation work, right? So you don't want to lose one of the six or two or three or four of the six key elements. So just to name them here, because we can't go into it, Jesus in his life, The life of Jesus is one of the keys to understanding what God is saying to us, how he healed the sick and drove out demons. He separated people from brokenness, from the tyranny of the devil, right? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus is prophesied right before this, right? Six days earlier. And then the resurrection of Jesus, that he will be the firstborn from among the dead. We should preach on this all day long, just itself. Jesus is the first of his kind. He was seen and touched and felt for 40 days by over 500 people at a time. He has a resurrection body which is made of the material of the new heavens and the new earth. He's proof that the new heavens and the new earth will swallow up our current reality when he returns. He is physical proof that he's been touched and seen and felt by so many people. He's the firstborn from the dead. So the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all in this text. So the whole gospel is surrounding this, the the, uh, transfiguration. There's more to the gospel. There's six days of new creation, right? The ascension of Jesus speaks about Jesus as the son of man, that he's the one who's the king of kings. That comes from Daniel chapter 2. It's Jesus' favorite reference to himself being the son of man 81 times. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he refers to himself in this way. Daniel 2, crucial, son of man. This is the picture of of after these great kingdoms of the earth, these kings of kings, there comes another king, a mountain comes out of a rock, not not shaped by human hands, but a rock comes down from a mountain and smashes these other great universal kingdoms Babylon and Greek and Roman and it's amazing the picture and Jesus is the one who receives (laughs) authority from heaven the heavenly man it's a powerful picture that's Jesus word so he's king of kings he's the one who has all authority in heaven on earth is the word in his great commission in his ascension and so he's also if you understand the reference here there's a tremendous echo in the words that the father speaks says this is my son whom I love listen to him. That's exactly what he said in the in Matthew three seventeen at his baptism. When Jesus receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, heaven's open dove comes down. And John says in chapter one, that the one who received the one I who sent me, told me that the one that the Holy Spirit comes down upon, To be baptized by the holy spirit will be the one who will baptize with the holy spirit so pentecost that the ability revolution the power of the holy spirit is given through jesus that's a part of the gospel message for all times and all places don't shrink this stuff it's all in this text around the transfiguration and ultimately his second coming which jesus explicitly refers to here that the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. That's at the end of chapter 16. That's his re- role as judge. That the one that God raised from the dead, he will appoint as the he has appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is relevant out of this passage to every man, woman, and child. His life, death, resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out the Holy Spirit, his second coming of Jesus. It's powerful. That's his identity. It's all in this passage. It's a lot. But Jesus' identity is huge. So I want you to stop shrinking thinking. And I guess here's the piece about Jesus' identity. See his centrality. See his centrality. Jesus says, listen to him. Her father says, listen to him. This is the air, This is the son. Listen to him. See the centrality of Jesus in the entire salvation plan of God for all times and places, for all people. Jesus also has a, intimacy here that's uh, astonishing uh, his glory is revealed he's the heir of the kingdom of god god says listen to him jesus reveals the father best we've talked about this already so i just want to emphasize it we we want to create a response an appropriate response to the father's word listen to him so i would encourage you to um, hang on to this phrase if you will as an application point uh surrender to his scripture surrender to his scripture like around the globe today greatest revival in human history all over the place there's discovery bible studies that are spending time in front of god in front of the word of god and letting god speak and they discuss what god is saying to them and then they put it into practice they obey it that week they obey it And they encourage each other and the revival is happening we're talking about tens of thousands of people becoming christians just through the power of the word of god just through listening to him all over the globe today north america we're a little lean on our study of the scriptures of surrendering to the scriptures and uh putting them into practice we need a culture of obedience that what god has said through scripture through his son we will obey a culture of obedience a culture of surrender and responsiveness to him so see the centrality of Jesus but surrender to his scripture daily regularly when you read obey it put it into practice don't just be a hearer of the word be a doer of the word put it into practice and teach others to obey as the great commission says make disciples of all nations with this gospel for all nations with this global eternal messiah make disciples of all nations everywhere anybody can come but Teach them how to surrender to his scriptures. Teach them to obey everything he commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Not just to reach people and get them saved for eternity, but to teach them to obey. You have to model a life of surrender to the scriptures of daily and weekly receiving the word of God and obeying it. A culture of obedience will make this church explode. Teach others to do it. There's 8,000 people just in Exeter that are probably far from God. How would you reach from this size group to 8,000 cultures of surrender around the Word of God? Group it up. Discovery Bible Studies. that works globally. It'll work here. Mm-hmm. Get together with a few people even far from God, whole households that don't believe. Put the Word of God in front of them and teach them with your own example how to submit and surrender to that. You'll see explosions, whole households come to Christ in your city. That's the intimacy part. Listen to him, the Father says so close to him he will reveal my heart my will my ways best to you so listen to him and finally the authority part in this text that every person must listen to Jesus the son of God with a heart to obey because of his identity his intimacy and his authority right so again Jesus is revealed as the only one I mean Moses and Elijah shined because they're from heaven too Which, if any of you have lost anybody, at least recently, that you really love, and they left this life and went (laughs) home to heaven, right? My father did about a year ago, in March. Absent from the body, we laid that in the ground. Scripture says, "At home with the Lord." I've learned more from my father. He was pretty debilitated for the last couple of years of life. I learned more in these last months since his death, because of his proximity to Jesus. I'm thinking all the time about what Dad's seeing and experiencing and feeling, but. What's in this text? Moses and Elijah, very much alive, very much involved, absent from the body, their body was buried. Moses was buried on a mountain outside of the you know, promised land, right, at home with the Lord, very much engaged in the kingdom advancing work of the son. I mean, you got anybody that you love, that died in the Lord? What a powerful comfort even this picture is. They're very much alive with God and they're learning right along with us as the gospel keeps expanding. So the one God raised from the dead, he appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. He is the son of man that chapter 16 says in the words of Jesus, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory that we see on the mountain here being revealed, but he will come again, his second coming with the father's glory and with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So the phrase i would give you see the centrality of jesus surrender to his scripture sell out to his sovereignty sell out to his sovereignty there's a lot of competing voices for your allegiance that are telling you to bow down to listen to them not listen to him have you heard recently really the media or the government or you know, people of authority saying, listen to him, to Jesus, the son of God, the heir of the kingdom of heaven. Have you heard that? Are you hearing other things you're supposed to listen to and bow down to? Don't. Sell out to his sovereignty. This one is coming back. The one glorified before is coming back with the father's angels. He will reward according to what each person has done he's the judge of the living and the dead because he's the firstborn of the resurrection of the dead this is the gospel that's relevant for every man woman and child all the elements of the gospel but sell out to his authority he's coming back sell out to his sovereignty don't bother to anything else so I'll, look, I'll end with this picture from daniel chapter 3 So again, the Son of Man, Revelation, Daniel the Prophecy, Daniel 2. Spend some time there. Let it break your heart how sovereign Jesus is over history and over all the superpowers of the world, including America, including China, including Russia. He's sovereign. He's king of kings. Sell out to the sovereignty of Jesus. But these guys do. They were close friends. So Daniel, if you remember in chapter 2, The king was about to kill all of his wise guys, all of his astrologers, and all the people in his temple courts because they couldn't tell him. He was testing their hearts. Like, tell me the dream I had. Then I'll know you have the accurate interpretation. Tell me the dream I had because he had this terrifying dream of this great statue in four different parts so he didn't know what it meant. He said, how about you tell me my dream and then I'll believe your interpretation. He's gonna kill all these people in his whole court. Daniel steps forward after praying to God says, I know your dream, king. And I'll give you an interpretation, right? So he does. And Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face like it's blown away by the God of Daniel. And he has a moment. You know, this great superpower king, king of Babylon. But remember that Babylon and Sumer and other Mesopotamian kingdoms, they all had relationship to Satan and his kingdom. They had demons. There were powers and principalities, forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms that they were worshiping. So. Sometime after his encounter with Daniel, he raised up Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel right in the court, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, you know, regional leaders further out from Babylon's capital. Sometime later, King gets a bright idea inspired by hell that he'd raise a 90-foot tall statue and command everybody to worship the statue as He had commanded this king, Nebuchadnezzar, the superpower on earth, right? He could kill you in a second if you didn't obey him. And so everybody does, right? On the plains of Shinar, this big place, statues there, the music starts, everybody, woof, woof. They're falling on their faces, saving their neck, except for three guys. (laughs) Like I like to talk about Shadrach material. got a little Shadrach material in you, a little backbone. To stand up when everybody's bowing to demons, when everybody's bowing to principalities and powers, dark powers, opposite of Jesus the Son. Can you stand? Sell out to his sovereignty, right? So they do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sell out to the sovereignty of God. They say, oh, king, our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace if he wants to. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow to your demonic principalities that you worship, Never. out to his sovereignty. So he takes the strongest soldiers of Babylon and he takes these three guys and they bind them up and he's so furious. Heat that thing up seven times hotter. Throws them in the furnace. The soldiers die. Got too close. These guys are walking around in the furnace and then the king goes, what? Did we not throw three guys in? I mean they were princes in his own kingdom. He knew exactly who they were. There were only three guys standing on the plain of Shinar, maybe David or Daniel, too. I don't know. He didn't get thrown. The, I don't know where he was on that one. Doesn't say. <laughs> Doesn't say. I'm curious now. About that. These three don't bow. They get thrown in. He's, he's a fourth man, not Daniel. He says, this one looks like a son of the gods, which you should remember chapter two, this son of man with the glory of God. That's Jesus, is pre-incarnate Jesus or an angel of the Lord, which is about the same, complete obedient supernatural beings walking in the fire with them they didn't they didn't bow to the superpower that was bending every other knee to the to the demonic presence that is the same in our culture to this day the same gods of Baal and Ashtoreth and Moloch these principalities and powers have tyrannized nations all over the globe for all of history except when the gospel breaks out here in Babylon in a foreign land as exiles they do not bend. Shadrach material get thrown in the fire you know what happens right? (laughs) Walking around with a fourth in the fire the king says bring them out what am I seeing here? They come out they don't even smell like smoke not a hair singed on their head. Sell out to his sovereignty sell out to the sovereignty of God don't bow an inch To the false gods of this age, this Jesus, the great majesty, is in the Son. From the great majesty in the Father, sell out to his sovereignty. See the centrality of Jesus. Surrender to his scripture. Obey it and teach others to obey everything he commanded. This is the heart of the transfiguration. What a highlight real moment this is in history. Let me pray for you.